don't know, I kind of hate to use the word deconstruction, but there is a little bit of a political reconstruction that I think Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, kids who grew up in Oklahoma eventually kind of have to navigate. Hello, the internet. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Uh, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of both fiction and nonfiction, and also the old ladies at a Goodwill in Oregon love my hair. So I got that going for me as well. Um, It's a true story. My wife took uh, me and the kids on vacation in Oregon. It was beautiful. It was very nice. Uh, Girls hadn't ever seen the ocean. So we, you know, we were several, several hours from the coast where we were staying, but we drove all the way to the coast and uh, took them out on the boat. But once we got there, we realized that I had not thought to bring a jacket because I'm an idiot. Um, So in this little Oregon seaside town, I found a Goodwill. I went and I got a jacket. It's actually very nice. I'm wearing it right now. It's a Nike lacrosse hoodie made of like a neoprene. It's pretty nice. Anyway, the the uh, attendant that I dealt with said she was very jealous of my hair. So get on my level if you don't have older women working at Goodwill who are jealous of your hair. Anyway, um, because it is... November and Thanksgiving is a often vaguely patriotic holiday. I thought it would be a good idea to open the month with a discussion of uh, American politics. Um, I like to talk to famous people on the show sometimes, but or slightly famous people at least. But every once in a while, I really like to have just kind of a normal person who is not famous and not internet famous on the show. Um, Just because I think philosophy is for everybody. Everybody should think deeply about their lives and about how they understand the world. Um, So I had a high school Spanish teacher on this episode named Nathan Ogan, uh, teaches Spanish at a high school in Oklahoma City. Um, And we talked about how he had changed his mind about the electoral college. Um, So it was a really interesting conversation. I will flip you over to it now and I will see you on the other side. Nathan, welcome to the show, man. Glad to be here. Thanks. Nathan is a high school Spanish teacher. Let me ask you this. Which is a more thankless job, high school Spanish teacher or high school gym teacher? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um... (laughs) I naturally want to say gym teacher, um, okay. but, but typically gym teachers are also, you know, basketball coaches or some other kind of yeah. position that gets noticed in society. So make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I, I'm just like, when you said you were a high school Spanish teacher, I was like, okay, so it's a required quote unquote elective that mm-hmm is like the default language for kids who don't want to take a language. 
I, ma- I imagine you're talking to rooms full of like 20 kids who don't want to be there all day long, or am I, am I way off? So, well, <laughs> at points in my career, it's been like that, but um, thankfully where I am right now is a really great position and mostly do have kids who learn um, and want to be there. Um, and yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is, you know, it comes, to, comes across as a thankless position, but um, <laughs> it, it does incorporate a lot of my interests into the classroom. Um because, you know, as long as we're using the language, we get to talk about culture, history. For sure. For oh, sure. Well, not really politics, but, you know, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. I spent a year of my life um, teaching high school, not high school, middle school typing, which was oh. miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was only, it was only one hour a day, you know, um, the mm-hmm. rest of the day was, uh, the rest of the day I was teaching English, but it was oh, like. Yeah. It was one of those gigs where they, they hired me like a week before the school year started. They were like, we desperately need a teacher to cover these three different classes. Will you do it? And it was, it was like in the mornings, it was like two hours of seventh grade grammar because they had separate grammar and literature classes at this middle school. Mm-hmm. So it was like two hours of seventh grade grammar and then an hour of seventh grade typing. And then I had to drive across town to the high school and teach three hours of 12th grade literature. <laughs> Holy. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. It yeah. was a lot. Yeah. I was like, Hey, school starts in a week. Good luck getting those lesson plans together. Um, <laughs> not, not, not my favorite year of my life. There were, there were a lot of migraines involved. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I taught for, three years teaching kind of chewed me up and spat me out a little bit how long have you been at it it'll do that um i'm in year seven now (laughs) right on right on yeah. yeah i taught for three years and then my wife gave birth to our first child and the district i was at declined to renew my my um contract for another year so i was like you know what? I'm out. I'm going to stay home, raise babies, write books. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do now. So not a lot of regrets there. Mad props to anyone who can stick with it. <laughs> oh yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> so um, we are here to talk about the electoral college um, and how you changed your mind about the electoral college. I don't know. Do we, do we need to talk about what the electoral college is for guests or listeners who might not know? Um, I, I mean, I would just phrase it as the system we have in the United States for electing a president um, by which individual citizens don't actually do it. And it is right. done, you know, through electors nominated by the state legislator. It's right. kind of the simplest, most, you know, nonpartisan way to put it sure yeah i mean i feel like there are probably a lot of americans who don't even know how presidents are elected Mm -hmm. because our our school systems are not the best at teaching civics um (laughs) but um yeah basically when you go to vote for president it is a referendum on who your who your legislature should send to vote for you essentially um And constitutionally, you have no right to vote for president. Um, state legislatures technically can pick electors however they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, right now we're in a moment when all 50 states use a popular vote to do it, but that mm-hmm. wasn't the case until after the Civil War, I believe. So yeah, it's kind of a weird system. It's not a system any other government that I know of uses. 
no states use it. It's not like mm-hmm. states have electoral colleges when they vote for governor. It's um, there aren't any other countries that I know of that do it. I mean, I, I guess I guess there are historical examples of colleges of electors voting for someone. Um, I mean, obviously the papacy um, <laughs> as a college that, that votes yeah. for the new pope. Um, I think it, I think that was the case as well in. Um, medieval Denmark when the king died that there would be a college of noblemen who elected the new king I don't know um I mean that's that's I only know that because of Hamlet but um (laughs) (laughs) former English teacher as we said it you know it's a weird system it does have its fans it does have its supporters yeah um which used to include you at least to one extent or another which is uh what we're here to talk about so um why don't we um, start at the beginning? Why were you a fan of the Electoral College? Hmm. I, so, so I think this, how do I put this? As a very young kid, when I found out what the Electoral College was, um, it was during the 2000 election, actually, which, you know. That's what a lot of people found out, I think. <laughs> um, and I was which a young was kid. 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, so I remember that just being kind of like, that seems odd. Like, why can't we just, you know, vote for the president? Right. Um, so there's always that. And I, I think that goes to show that that is kind of a natural inclination in people's mm-hmm. brain to mm-hmm. just go, uh, why can't we just elect a president by popular vote? Regardless, um, just kind of for a lot of factors, including um, where I grew up, um, family I was in, being evangelical, all of that, um, mm-hmm. being around um, conservative, not only Fox News, but talk radio and stuff like that. I don't want to say I was you know, inundated and drowned in it, but it was certainly present. Um, there was stuff I picked up on. And by the time I was about 14, I was starting to become a bit of a political nerd. Um, and, and starting to form my own opinions around 2008 when, uh, you know, Obama was kind of rising to popularity and mm. eventually became the nominee and then the president. Um, so really, I, I think I accepted it because not, not so much that I agreed with the reasoning, but because someone or people that I did respect had reasoning. Mm-hmm. And I the think reasoning that's what was... Something along the line of it was what our founding fathers wanted. And, and that, that was the argument for a long time, but I think that's changed over the years, which I might get to later, um, mm-hmm. especially since 2016. I think the argument in support of the Electoral College has really shifted mm. into something completely different. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, I think I believed it pretty much because I knew that there were people that I considered, you know, smart on the subject of politics who also supported it and could give a rationale. Hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, the founding fathers argument is is always a weird one because mm-hmm. it it's almost always selectively applied. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 like you know, the founding fathers also didn't want a popular vote at all, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the also, founding fathers only wanted landowning men to vote, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a long list of things that are not the case anymore. Um, but 
Yeah. And I mean, originally we had the loser of the presidential election becoming the vice become president. Become the vice president. Yeah. 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 So. If um, what the founding fathers wanted was like this sacrosanct thing, the founding fathers wouldn't have put the possibility of amending the constitution in the constitution. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. When did your, uh, when did your mind start to change on this? So I think my mind started to change probably between 2012 and 2016. Um, Sometime around there, there was just kind of a gradual, you could kind of see Trumpism starting to become a thing kind of from Mm. the Tea party and kind of those offshoot movements. And it, it did seem like a lot of people my age were just kind of reconsidering things. I was in college at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I'm from Oklahoma. So, you know, none of this, we know the way my state's going to vote. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really think about too much in 2012. Um, yeah. But seeing in 2016, when, when Trump was able to win, despite losing the popular vote by, I think, over 2% to Hillary yeah, Clinton. Pretty um, wide margin. Yeah, pretty wide margin. Um, suddenly I started seeing like support from the Electoral College coming from people who previously were not ever saying anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It seemed very much to have something to do with the fact that it allowed Trump to win. Mm-hmm. That uh, made it a good thing, specifically kind of coming up with this argument that like essentially this idea that real America votes for Republicans, real America votes for Trump, mm-hmm. the areas that don't have people or don't have as many people, rural areas, um, and just kind of retroactively placing um, that theory onto the founding fathers that somehow like they were going to foresee 2016 and they didn't want all the, you know, all the cities to have power as the mm-hmm. critics would mm-hmm. um, So when I started hearing those arguments, it just made me kind of reconsider um, you know, what this was really all about. I, I think by that point I um, accepted it wasn't really logical, but also, hey, it's what the you know founding fathers wanted. It's a check on the government. It's a check on you know the popular vote or you know whatever the popular argument was at the time. Um, but seeing how quickly that argument could shift to something completely different in that was frankly identity politics, yeah, in a very kind of weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what really made me question whether this is something we should even have and if this is something that we should spend our time um advocating against yeah i want to push back on the logical thing for a yeah. second yeah um because i mean that's something i talk about a lot on the shows i'm not sure mm-hmm. if i <laughs> people, people people throw the word logical around a lot we'll throw the word emotional around a lot like there's this mm-hmm. dichotomy between logic and emotion i don't know can you explain what you mean by logical yeah i, I meant in the sense that Like you mentioned earlier, there's no other country in the world that uses the Electoral College or really a Mm -hmm. similar system. Um, If it really did what its supporters said it did, which essentially is um, provide a check on the big cities or, you know, the big states, if that was the case, we would see this adapted, you know, at the state level, too, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, So, so yeah, logical, probably not the best word to use. Um, Maybe more common sense isn't good either. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, based on what we see throughout the world, throughout history, um, it, it, it seems natural to want a popular vote, um, you know, as a teacher in the classroom and we're 
have five minutes left and I want to do a Spanish game or we're going to play hangman or something else. We vote. I'm not going to split the class up into sections and, you know, have this convoluted system. And obviously that's completely different, you know, from uh, what we're dealing with, with the presidential election. I mean, among other things, you've only got five minutes to vote. True. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That too. Um, So yeah, I guess what I mean by that is just, it's not something that I at least would ever come up with um, Mm. as a way of gauging who people want to be president. Yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to poke at this, this idea of motivated reasoning real quick. Um, Cause you, you were saying, you know, Republicans like the electoral college because it elects Republicans, um, <laughs> which to my yeah, understanding is accurate. Um, I, I don't know if there's a question here it, and I, you know, I, I feel kind of weird both sides in this, but at the same time um, I remember in 2012, you know, when the, it was Obama versus Romney, the votes were still being counted. Um, it for a while it looked like Romney was going to win the popular vote, but Obama was going to win the electoral mm-hmm. college. Slate, I remember, published a piece called "In Defense of the Electoral College." Um, so that I mean, clearly there's there's uh, motivated reasoning on both sides, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, to that same point, most of the critics of the electoral college at this moment in time are Democrats because they know that abolishing it would help their party win. Um, so here's the, here's the question, I guess, which is, is it really possible to step away from this sort of motivated reasoning? Is it really possible to talk, talk about the electoral college without, you know, being influenced by your own political biases? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I want to try my best to, to make this, uh, where, where I want to see a system that is fair and represents the will of the people. And, mm-hmm. you know, just frankly, at this point in time, that happens to be the Democrats. That wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Um, I'm trying to think about if there has been. Um, you might have to edit this out. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't think there has been a case where it has benefited a Democratic um, candidate. I just looked at 1876. That's when uh, Hayes beat Tilden. Mm-hmm. Um so benefit of Republican then. Um, oh, it was just 1824-76-88-2000-2016. So 1888, yeah, it benefited a Republican as well. So yeah, it, it, there could be a situation where it did benefit a Republican or a Democrat, um, but kind of seeing what what's essentially a global uh, political realignment right now, where essentially um left-leaning parties are doing better in cities and highly educated regions whereas the conservatives are building their base more and more often in rural areas Mm -hmm. um yeah it it does seem like it's going to benefit republicans for quite a while now um especially Mm -hmm. given some of the population shifts uh that we saw in the 2020 census and uh the way that's um working itself out in um how we allocate representatives, which in turn, you know, affects the electoral votes. Okay. Now here's the next question, which is yep. how is that bad? You know, like, obviously I'm playing mm-hmm. devil's advocate here. I yep. have quite, I have some sympathy <laughs> for your views. Um, but you know, why, why shouldn't the power dynamic be balanced in favor of rural people? Like, I mean, cities mm-hmm. have a lot of, I mean, let's put it this way. They have a lot of cultural power. They have a lot of economic power. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we rebalance the political power towards the rural areas? Yeah. Um, I, I would say I'm, this 
U.S. government is where the important decisions are made that affect people. This is why we vote. This is why, um, you know, people are encouraged to vote rather than go out and riot or, you know, yell at a school board meeting or whatever. Um, Throughout our lives, we're told if you want to change things, vote. And that's very much baked into um, kind of this, you know, um, well, at at the very least, it's baked into the education system. Mm -hmm. You change things by voting. Okay, let's do that. Um, problem is now um, more and more restrictions on voting, um, just very arbitrary kind of things being attacked at the state level in places like Texas and basically anywhere that has a Republican legislator. And that's not to demean Republicans. That's really just to say there's a correlation going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, taking away or kind of shifting the power balance, just it doesn't do anyone any favors because this is just a presidential election. This isn't the entirety of governments. Um, and kind of going back to my earlier point, like if it were a good idea, there would be some sort of similar implementation in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Um, can, you, can you explain what you mean when you say this is just the presidential election? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? What are you talking? What are you trying to say there? Yeah. So one of the arguments I hear in support of the electoral college is kind of like, well, if we had a popular vote, it would be cities kind of essentially, I've even read an article using the term ruling over the rural areas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, as if like this one election would be enough um, to completely transform that power balance, Mm. whatever that power balance, you know, what that is. Um, So, yeah. Um, it's a presidential election. We don't do this for Senate elections. We don't do this for the House. We don't do this for um, executive level governor um, positions at the state level. It makes you question, why is this a good system? Why are we defending this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it certainly begs the question. We, we just don't see it anywhere else. Um, and I do believe that in Texas, they were trying to implement a system for um, statewide elections that would be kind of like counties carrying a bit of an electoral Mm. vote um which i haven't checked up on lately i don't think it's uh taken off very much but yeah i mean that's what yeah it would be hard to get something like that off the ground i mean you probably have to amend the state constitution and everything which yeah um even if it succeeded it would probably be a long and tortuous process to get there yeah and additionally i think that could backfire against Republicans in Texas, especially since things are so located or, yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you said there were some, you know, things you learned about history that kind of changed your mind on this. Can we talk about those some? Yeah. um, I think for me, it was mostly just looking at um, how many things the founding fathers had introduced um, that are no longer, you know, with us essentially. Um, Mainly being, you know, the fact that we no longer have the loser of the presidential election become vice president. That's a pretty um, clear example of, you know, trying to implement this thing and finding out just decades later, this wasn't good for the country. Um, This did not heal any divides. Um, Additionally, looking just at recent history, um, kind of to, uh, you know, utter the famous quote, elections have consequences. Um, you know, the 2000 election set the stage for, you know, the 2004 election. And it's notoriously mm-hmm. hard to be an, beat an incumbent, uh, even though we just saw it happen. Um, 
and that gave us eight years of Bush, which I'm not going to speak for anyone, um, whether that was a good or bad thing. Well, even putting aside, yeah, yeah. I mean, even putting aside the question of whether George Bush was a great or terrible president, um, it is. I think it it is generally agreed that the delay in the transition uh, from the of the presidency from Clinton to Bush caused by this fight over the Electoral College kind of indirectly led to nine eleven because there was a lot of transfer of intelligence that should have happened and didn't happen until it was too late. Um, and I, you know, it's been a while since I read about this, so I can't explain mm-hmm. it any, any more than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's clearly, that's a pretty clear example of the electoral college causing kind of a pretty objective, hard to argue with problem. Yeah. Um, so How did it? How did it? Um, how did it feel when you started to question these assumptions you'd had about the electoral college? Yeah. So, changing my mind about the electoral college alone uh, didn't feel like a major shift, like personally, uh, mm-hmm. maybe intellectually, um, but not really personally. Um, get back to the question. Um, sorry, keep repeating. <laughs> yeah. How did how how did it how did it feel to change your mind? It didn't feel like much. Um, however, with um, reevaluating this particular subject um, also caused me to reevaluate kind of a lot of my presuppositions about voting, the nature of voting, the importance of voting, things like that. Um, notably, um, having spent, you know, time around people, um, you know, who more or less would suggest, you know, too many people were voting the wrong people were voting mm-hmm. um and to be fair i think most of the times when i was hearing that it was it was mostly coming from a place of oh i'm educated mm-hmm. i know my stuff a lot of people aren't mm-hmm. um which is something i think could come from right or left um kind mm-hmm. of having an elitist attitude um and over time, just seeing, you know, how much these voter suppression bills actually, you know, were voter suppression bills. Growing mm-hmm. up and watching Fox News, I just bought the argument that, no, people were just going crazy and were, um, you know, just uh, it wasn't really there. And it turns out there was. There was a lot there. Um, Can you talk th- about that? Yeah. What was yeah. there? What was there? What was there? So I think we've seen this a lot in 2021, um, states adding all kinds of new restrictions for voting. We saw that in Georgia, saw that in Texas, um, and not being able to give a good reason why outside of, you know, uh, a general feeling that there's voter fraud, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, a lot of that is, you know, it's red meat for the base. So I, I get that. Um, so the re yeah. So since 2020, um, taking also a lot of education courses in college um, Mm -hmm. certainly changed how I view um, activism Mm. um, in a lot of the evangelical and conservative spaces. I were, I was in um, activism unless it was for a very specific set of issues was just kind of seen as an annoyance Mm -hmm. um, and something that people did when they weren't entirely educated on a subject. Mm. Um, but, you know, spending time in Title I schools, um, taking classes where I heard about the problems in education, um, the disparities, the um, just all of these things um, kind of just gave me fresher eyes to go back and 
acknowledge that, yeah, I'd, I'd been kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I've been way too quick uh, to make assumptions just kind of about the nature of activism as it mm. exists in the United States. Mm-hmm. Try to actually find out what these reasons are um, and the reason that people would, you know, stop what they're doing and go in protest or, uh, you know, go to their city hall and do things other than vote. What would you say you learned about activism specifically? Um, America has struggled to change without it. Um, hmm. And it was, you know, it was selfish and short-sighted of me to um, even subconsciously, I think, make these generalizations about activism in today's age. Um, and so much of that, I think, came from, you know, my position in growing up middle class, looking around mm. me saying, oh, America seems pretty good right now. <laughs> this is a pretty nice place to live. What are yeah. people complaining about? Um, so a lot of that was just basic growing up and basic kind of having my mind expanded by going to college and meeting people who didn't think or believe like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that goes far beyond just the electoral college too. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned you uh, grew up in Oklahoma. Are you, are you still in Oklahoma? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Oklahoma city. Right on. Yeah. 19th largest city in America. After uh, I have no idea why you know that, but that's interesting. I uh, yeah, <laughs> it, I only know because our mayor uh, never stops posting about how we jumped from 31st to 19th, the most in recent. What census. amount of time? Oh, okay, 10 years. so in 10 yeah. years, so that's pretty, that intense, is a pretty yeah. impressive jump, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm, cool. Hi, thanks so much for listening. I will get you right back to that conversation, but real quick, I want to talk about the Patreon for the show. By going to patreon.com slash changedmymind, you can become a supporter of the show for as little as $1 a month and help me continue to bring thoughtful, engaging conversations like this one to the interwebs. Um, Patreon supporters get all sorts of cool benefits, including early access to episodes, VIP access to me and my producer Blake, and access to a bonus episode every month. This month, we're featuring a conversation with philosophy professor Justin E.H. Smith, author of Irrationality, The Dark Side of Reason. My producer reached out to him and asked him, hey, what have you changed your mind about? He said, you know what? Nothing. Because I'm a Leibnizian, and that means I think we know everything a priori. It was a really strange, really engaging conversation. Um, I'll let you listen to a snippet of it. Here's him explaining what he meant by that. And, like, that sounds totally insane. It sounds like Leibniz (laughs) was on drugs. It sounds like I'm on drugs right now. But the more you think about it, the more it the more our experiences of learning or of changing our mind actually do sometimes kind of have that character, right? Of being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm actually committed to this. And now that I have it spelled out for me or counted out for me, I see it. To hear the rest of that conversation, go to patreon.com slash changed my mind. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash changed my mind, where you can become a supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month and help me continue to bring thoughtful conversation to the internet like this one. Thank you so much to all my listeners and all my supporters, and I will go ahead and flip you back over to this week's conversation. So you're still in Oklahoma. You're still, so 
objectively the reddest state in America, I think, consistently. Just about, more. yeah. Yeah, I lived in Tulsa for 10 years. Oh, no um, way. So, yeah, I from 2007 to 2017. Um, now I'm in Wisconsin, which is objectively the purplest state in America. So, yeah, no, very true. Um, <laughs> I think that means eventually I get to move to Hawaii because that's the blue state. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. What's it like to, I mean, it sounds like your political views have shifted at least somewhat leftward. Um, yeah. I mean, what's it like living among all these, all these Okies? Man. Uh, I mean, OKC is a pretty purple to bluish kind of area. Sure. It's kind sure. of trending that way, like a lot of major cities, but right. um, as a whole, like, I don't know. I kind of hate to use the word deconstruction, but yeah, it's, <laughs> kind it's of a, an overused word for sure. Yeah, but but there is a little bit of a political reconstruction that I think mm-hmm. a lot of uh, kids who grew up in Oklahoma eventually uh, kind of have to navigate mm-hmm. um, just because, yeah, we're just so inundated with that. So, yeah, yeah. Right now, I wouldn't say it affects me a ton. I mean, there's the whole mask and vaccine battles going on. Oh, gosh, um, I'm sure. I mean, our government's not handling that well. I didn't ever expect them to. Um, But, yeah, we see a lot of those culture war battles coming in. Um, But thankfully, I haven't had to deal with a lot of that at my job. Um, Yeah. Very grateful for that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I assume the questions about the electoral college don't come up super often in Spanish class. Um, Not a lot. No. (laughs) Um, What about, what about family? I mean, is your, are your folks still pretty hardcore? Yeah. Right wing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To an extent Um, I can avoid a lot of those subjects. Um, So, so yeah, none of this was really about like, you know, being bothered by, (laughs) Oklahoma people. I'm very used to it now at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Not not a whole lot of what I see here surprises me anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a reason I left the state. But um, <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you this. Are you yeah. at all, quote unquote, evangelistic about these beliefs? Is this something you're preaching on street corners or whatever? Oh, or? Man. Oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> but, but that is a good question. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm evangelistic about the electoral college. Um, it, I, I think that's one small piece. I wouldn't even say I'm evangelistic so much about voting rights as a whole as I am um, interested in trying to combat misinformation. If it comes mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, I, I did have a talk with. I, I mean, you, you brought up, you brought up activism. You brought up your changing yeah. views of, of activism. Do you consider yourself an activist or as are you more of an activist fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I probably am, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, yeah, activism in the sense of the Electoral College. Uh, no, no, I haven't done a ton. Um, but, but yeah, I think when it comes to the broader voting rights issue, I think this is certainly something where, you know, the public needs to be uh, better informed. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be able to, parse through and cut through a lot of the BS that we get mm. um, from our politicians in this regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, good voices that we should listen to um, like Lawrence Lessig. Is he someone? No, I'm not familiar with no. him. Um, he actually ran for president in 2016 in the democratic primary very briefly, Okay, pretty much um, with the entire, uh, like really his, like his whole campaign was about electoral reform. Mm. Um, so he's got some pretty good uh, uh, thoughts about electoral reform. The electoral college uh, could put it a whole lot better than I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a guy that I would look to. 
sorry, that yeah. was a huge tangent. I don't know how I wound up there. But, uh, <laughs> well, I feel like I inter- interrupted you a little bit earlier. You, you maybe hopefully remember what you're going to say, because it sounded like it was going somewhere interesting. You said, I did have a talk with, and then I cut in. Oh, just, that just like, you know, with individual students, not in front of the class. Like, yeah, oh, I think, sure. I think the election was stolen and just kind of getting to be like, uh, well, here's some information that's going to show you why that isn't exactly true. Yeah. Um, I've also been just by hobby, um, doing like political maps, uh, making redistricting maps for a while. Hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, there's a great app. I don't know if any um, listeners are nerdy enough for this called days redistricting where uh, essentially, yeah, you can just redistrict all the States. Um, Gerrymandering is a huge thing too. Um, Well, let me ask you this because this is something I think about often and maybe, maybe the answer is just done now, but um, (sighs) anyone currently in office? Well, okay. So electoral reform depends on people currently in office doing something yeah. about it mm-hmm. anyone anyone currently in office is pretty much by definition already benefiting from the system that is in place oh yeah right i mean that's, absolutely um i mean if you're not benefiting you're not in office right um mm-hmm. so i guess I, I guess the question is do you see hope for improvement here and where do you see that hope and yeah. we can talk in general or specifically about the electoral college. Yeah. Uh, up to- I'm glad you asked that. Um, yeah. Cause I, I was doing a little bit of research here, um, research in air quotes, but um, <laughs> yeah, looking at kind of um, how the public has viewed the electoral college. And for a long time, it's been a pretty shared bipartisan consensus that people have wanted a popular vote. Yeah. So 2012, I think is really telling. Um, so 62% of those surveyed said they would support amending the constitution uh, Hmm. to give the popular vote winner uh, versus 35 who would like to keep the electoral college. Um, And during that time, 69% of Dems supported uh, the amendment and 54% of Republicans. So over half. Hmm. Uh, And that was also the year, if you remember where uh, Donald Trump talked about how he didn't (laughs) like the electoral college. That's right. Yeah. He thought, (laughs) Back, back at the same time that Slate was running pro electoral college editorials. Yeah, what a world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then 2016, um, that gap shrunk all the way to 54 to four, yeah, 51 to 44 in support of uh, amending the Constitution, 74% of Dems, and only 27% mm. of Republicans. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and that gap is actually um, now it's, well, not now, we're, it was 2020, 58% versus 40% would like to see a popular vote. It's 81% with Democrats, uh, bumped a little bit with the Republicans, now 32%. Um, and I, I do believe having Trump out of office and not being like the, you know, the guy who beat the odds and won the Electoral College, I think, hopefully, maybe not, I think, I hope, um, that this can motivate people to kind of reconsider this position um, mm-hmm. as something nonpartisan as something that could give any political party an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to look back and just see how things have shifted, but still um, on this research never um, dating back to 2000 been a time where um, the plurality or majority of Americans or those surveyed wanted to keep the electoral college. Yeah. You know, 
I do believe that means something. Um, yeah, I, I do think populism is something to definitely be careful with, and it mm. uh, you know deserves you know critique. But something this popular, this consistently popular, um, it, it certainly does make you question uh, why nothing's been done. It's interesting that you say populism is something you should be careful with, while at the same time advocating for a popular vote. Uh, um, yeah. Do you see? Uh, so I guess, I guess the, there's a two-part question there, which is, mm-hmm. A, how, how are we defining populism? And B, do you see a contradiction there? Yeah, so I'm thinking populism more in the sense of being able to rally the masses in order to you know, support a certain movement or support a certain cause. Um, I, I think that danger has been more evident. And I, I don't know if you would you know, consider Trump a populist or a fake populist. It's kind of a, that's a major internet debate. Um, I mean, the, the, prob- yeah. the problem with the word populism is that it used to have a very specific meaning uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like a political philosophy slash agenda. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was almost 150 years ago when the term was coined. And for the last, you know, who knows, 50 to 100 years, people have just used it as kind of an all-purpose synonym for demagoguery. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, when, whenever someone uses the word populism, I feel like I immediately have to say, okay, what do you think that word means? You know, what do you yeah. mean when you say populism? I, um, yeah. You know, and I, 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 I had someone pose that exact question to me, um, you know, just a random Facebook debate with somebody I shouldn't have been wasting my time on. Um, you know, and I, I hadn't said anything about populism, but, you know, he was he was like, all you Dems are the same. Not that I'm a Democrat, I'm yeah. an independent, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, he was like, and you're all like, you're all horrified by populism, but you're arguing for a popular vote. How do you square that circle? You know, and I mean, at the time, I didn't think it was like, because I hadn't said anything about populism. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really a fair representation of my views. But at yeah. the same time, there, you know, there maybe arguably is a point to be made there. And obviously, I, I think most serious people can agree Trump was a just a demagogue. And so it's it's clear that it's clear that the electoral college is not the check on demagoguery. People, certain yeah. people, think of it as or want it to be mm-hmm. because it you know if it weren't for the electoral college, he wouldn't have won. Yeah. Um, so it, it can be made to serve demagoguery just as easily as a popular vote. Um, but that being said, a straight popular vote no one's going to mistake that for a check on demagoguery either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, I guess the question is if you're concerned about demagoguery, what is the argument for a popular vote? So I think we have to consider the fact that under the two party system, we typically have two options, potentially True. a third. Um, and so what that comes down to is, and I've heard this phrase tyranny of the majority, right. um, which I believe I think it was James Madison who first said that sure. um, to me, it, it kind of a non-starter. You can also have tyranny of the minority as well. Right. Um, it, it also, you know, and I've, tyranny, I've, I've heard that. I've thing. heard that criticism um, of, of the, of the electoral college in that, you know, we're so worried about tyranny of the majority. We arranged for tyranny of the minority, the electoral college. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? Yeah. Um, I, I think that pretty much was my point in regard to that. Mm-hmm. I would say we already have a check in our system of government, legislative, judicial, executive branch. Sure. Um, and, and personally, I think 
we might be overthinking if we're, you know, questioning where we need to check on this presidential election. Mm. Um, because like I said, yeah, it, it is important. The president obviously matters a great deal. Um, but again, like these legislative elections, especially state legislative elections are of incredible importance. And there are very few proposals to incorporate a similar system into those. Mm-hmm. That's telling. Uh, okay. So I want to push back on that. Cause you keep, mm-hmm. you keep saying it. I think I said it first, but you keep saying it, that, you know, this argument of if the presidential, if the electoral college is so great, why does no one else use it? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, th- to an extent, that's a halfway decent argument. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, there's all sorts of arguably good ideas that the vast majority of people slash countries slash whatever don't use. Um, this is just a random, random thought. Um, but can we talk basketball for a second? You're in OKC. That's a big basketball yeah. town. Um, sure. Not that I'm a basketball expert at all, but th- we have good, solid data that the best way to shoot a free throw is underhand between the legs, oh, yeah. the granny shot. Um, that's the only way to make sure a majority of your free throws go in. And yet nobody does it because it looks stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I, I just, I feel like that there's a case to be made for almost every aspect of, of the human experience, you know, <laughs> wherever you go, there's, there's probably a good idea that almost no one's using, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that no one's using an idea is not in itself evidence that it's a bad idea. Um, so what would you say to that? Yeah, um, it's not evidence that it's, you know, a bad idea. I think it begs the question why it's not being done. Um, I, I think demonstrably it's not been a good idea um, mm. demonstrated by just the dispersion between popular vote and um, the electoral vote that we so often see. I mean, uh, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point too, because like, so if the popular vote and the electoral vote always aligned, then there'd be objectively no need for the electoral college. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so I feel, I feel like there's kind of a catch 22 there of like either the electoral college is bad because it doesn't always align with the popular vote, or if it did, you know, it, it would be unnecessary. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, what's the scenario where, I mean, what's the case hypothetically, if you were to make a case for it, what's the case that yeah. would be good. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the electoral college, then you're probably not bothered by the fact that it doesn't always align with the popular vote. Right. 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 Um, so, so, I, pretend, I, so pretend I'm yeah. defending the electoral college. You say, well, it doesn't always align with the popular vote. And I'm like, I know that's the point. What's mm-hmm. the response? I so feel I, like I could think of, I feel like I can think of examples, right? Like, I mean, movies, right? The popular consensus and the critical mm-hmm. consensus often diverges and people yeah. who take movies seriously generally will say, well, I mean, the critic opinion, the critical opinion kind of matters mm-hmm. for how I'm going to, assess movies and which movies i'm gonna go see i don't know maybe maybe that's not not... i mean no i get what you're saying i mean i would argue there's a you know major level of just difference of importance um and that's what makes the fact that the electoral college is dedicated only to this specific area Mm. uh concerning or odd at the very least i just i mean I, i i guess i just i feel like you're starting from the premise of like majority opinion is always correct and 
I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we see, mm-hmm. we, we see like, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. which things, which things get popular, you know, like somehow the MCU is the biggest thing in the world. And mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I think it's, you know, I think those movies are just boring and bland and samey. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, or, or like, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm definitely with you on a Marvel movies. Um, I mean, so can you, can you, you're starting from that premise. Yeah. I'm telling you why a lot of people probably aren't going to buy it. Can you defend the premise? Yeah. I mean, or, or maybe are you not starting from the premise? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of comes back to that whole, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Okay. Uh, what are we going for here? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, something you'll hear a lot is, well, we're a Republic, not a democracy. Yeah, um, which is like uh, splitting hairs. Slogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. Um, it, and I kind of see that thrown around as an excuse for you know the popular winner or the winner of the popular vote does not need to match up with the electoral vote. And yeah, that that gets to something a lot more philosophical when we start talking about you know is popular good? You know, obviously not all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of situations where you know what's awful has been popular. Um, <laughs> but it, it, again, this isn't. You know, this is a decision that's made every four years um, by millions of people. We're also in a very polarized environment. So um, I, I personally, and I would argue that, you know, most people who are seriously studying politics right now, um, our elections are probably going to be fairly close for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to see, you know, you know, like Reagan had something like an 18 point win over right. uh it was that uh, Mondale 84. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see things like that. We're not going to see things um, where basically there's such like uh, demagogic energy. I'll use that word um, propelling someone to like, you know, a 60 or 70%, you know, margin of victory. Um, right. So yeah, I, I, sorry. That was a bit of a tangent. Um, I'm, I'm having, I'm struggling yeah. to connect the dots. Can you connect the dots for me? Like elections are going to be close. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we should have a popular vote for president. What are what are the dots in between there? So yeah, essentially, I would ask what would be a better way for us to elect a president rather than by some form of popular vote? Because the other thing is these electors in most states are in some way you know connected to the vote that the people give. Mm-hmm. So we're already saying there there's importance mm-hmm. to you know people's voice in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't just, you know, elected arbitrarily. Right. So if we can do that, like, um, you know, if we're apparently informed and reasonable enough to elect electors for president, it just it, it doesn't add up that the American public wouldn't be, um, you know, responsible enough or informed enough, mm-hmm. you know, to also do that voting mm-hmm. directly for the president. I guess you can see that. Um, let me hit you with one more thing. Yeah. Uh, which is, I feel like the best, as I said, I personally, probably on your side on this one, um, but I feel like the best defense of the Electoral College I've heard is that the president doesn't represent the people, he represents the states. Like we are a union of not quite sovereign, but almost sovereign states, right? We're not just, we're not just a nation. We are a union of states. 
Do you want to respond to that? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a central question to, you know, reforming or abolishing the Electoral College is like, what role does the state play in this? And, you know, um, that comes down to all kinds of different things, you know, sure. how you view and interpret the Constitution, whether that's something that can or should be amended. Um, I think, um, you know, even if we were to keep the Electoral College, there are a lot of plans that would make it a whole lot more fair, that would make it, um, that would give people a better voice, more of a voice. Um, if we, for example, split those up by congressional districts, yeah, there's gerrymandering, but that would mm-hmm. still be more fair. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and know, there are states that do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Made, made in Nebraska. Both exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be one plan um, if, you know, every state could take on that. Um, but that would be, you know, a process of having those states actually decide to do so. Um, right. which could be convoluted. You know, there's also just doing proportional representation, just allocating the electoral votes based on, you know, meeting certain thresholds mm-hmm. and all of this, like, I, I think that's imperfect, but I think it's, it would be an improvement on our current system. Hmm. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, aside from yep. your new beliefs themselves, uh, what did you learn from the experience of changing your mind? I learned that it doesn't always have to be a big deal. Hmm. Sometimes you're just presented with new information that you hadn't considered before. Um, And there's something very human about us wanting to push back on that for as long as possible. Mm. Um, Even if those arguments are not particularly strong. um, And even if, you know, our reasoning isn't so great. Um, So yeah, yeah. I learned it doesn't have to be a big deal uh, to change your mind. Um, It is not, you know, central to my identity. (laughs) Uh, my view on the electoral college, if it was, that'd be a, a bit concerning. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, this, this particular one was not a huge emotional investment for me. Um, it, it was a bit more of an investment changing my mind on, you know, voting rights as a whole, mm-hmm. um, b- because it just cost me to confront some, some biases and assumptions that I had been making. Hmm. Okay. Well, there are three questions uh, I try to close out with. Ask all my guests. Um, this is a quote-unquote philosophy podcast. So yeah. we talk philosophy here. Um, ontology, epistemology, how do we know truth and how do we know ourselves? Um, so first of all, Nathan, what is identity? How do you know your identity? Does everyone have an identity? What do you think? Yeah, um, I'd say everyone has an identity. Mm. Um, it's a bit subjective, mm-hmm. depending on uh, who you allow to shape that identity. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be you know, shaped by other people, shaped by yourself. Mm. And what you think is best can be shaped by your religion, belief in God, all kinds of things. But, you know, basically it's who you are mm. and what that means. Um. Second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? It, it sounds a bit like a cliche, but it's, yeah, we're, we're very different, but probably more similar than we think. Hmm. Um, mostly in the ways that, you know, we act biologically and things like that. But also in, I think, the ways that we deal with conflict, the ways that we deal with receiving new information. Um, uh, yeah, especially now, kind of in 2021, where just everything is so turbocharged. Um, I, I am seeing like, you know, people on the opposite side of the aisle, like 
we both do the same things when confronted with information that we don't really love or doesn't maybe fit our immediate um, understanding of the world. Which is what? What do you do? Uh, get defensive, deflect, um, find our own cheerleaders, make us feel good about ourselves, or just ignore it altogether. Probably a lot more I'm not listing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? And how do you know when you found truth? Ooh, um, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's meant to be. Um, truth is what we can know about our reality around us. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that we can prove to be true, um, especially mathematically, scientifically. Um, and what I believe personally about truth is, you know, truth is a person that was Jesus Christ. Um, that's how I find it. That's not how I'm saying everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's one of those (laughs) philosophical questions that I I don't feel qualified necessarily to give a, a perfect answer to, but, but that's where I found it and that's where I stand. So yeah. Yeah. Um, since you brought up religion, let's talk for a second. Are you, are you still yeah. um, inhabiting these evangelical spaces in the Ooh, red I, estate in America? Or I've been a little out of it um, kind of since COVID hit. Um, for sure. I, I don't know how things are in Wisconsin, but it's it's really kind of driven a wedge in a lot of congregations. And, oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. it, it's It's been ugly. And I mean, even if there weren't a pandemic, you know, we saw you know, January 6th and mm-hmm. this kind of Christian nationalism rise. So, um, yeah, I, I have been away from kind of evangelical bubble, but um, trying to find where I fit within that tradition mm-hmm. um, as someone who still um, very much believes um, kind of the core elements of the Christian faith. Sure. Sure. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, Nathan, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Right back at you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, before we go, you have anything you want to plug? Dude, I, I am not like internet famous at all. Sure, for sure. <laughs> My Twitter is a at person with ears. Um, and I, I can confirm I, listeners. He does have ears. <laughs> Thank I, you. I can Thank see you. them on the zoom. zoom yeah. conversation. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't tweeted in about a month, but I don't know that could change. Um, I, I did do a, no, no, I don't need to plug that. <laughs> all right. Not, um, cool. All right, cool. Well, this has been Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me at LukeTHarrington.com or on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, or you can email the show at changedmymindpod at gmail.com. And I will see you next time. The more I think about it, the more convinced I am that democracy is valuable simply as an end in itself, or at the very least, valuable as a means to a very specific and very broad end, that end being the keeping of the peace. Um, The norm (laughs) for all of human history is violent struggles over power. Um, Or at least that's what happens when people feel like the ones in power are not representing 
their interests. At some point, it really isn't a question of who's right or wrong. It's a question of whether people's voices are heard. People who think their voices are going unheard are much more likely to act out violently because you know if you won't listen to someone's words, what else are they supposed to do, right? And that's why I think we all can agree, regardless of political ideology, that peace is generally a desirable thing. And the best political way to peace is to create a government that people feel represents them. Um, you know, even the illusion of representing people uh, is preferable to it not being there, right? Um, essentially, democracy has a way of legitimizing political power, right? If a majority of people want those in power to be in power, then it is almost by definition legitimate. And if they, if the government is perceived as being legitimate, it is a period of peace. Um, now, obviously, we can argue about policy. We can argue about values, but um, this is almost outside of that, right? Like we want a government perceived as being legitimate so that we can have peace and prosperity, right? Even if we disagree about the issues. And that's why I'm increasingly convinced that less democratic forms of government are doomed to fail, right? To borrow a line from a completely unrelated source, they contain the seeds of their own destruction, right? People who feel the government does not represent their interests, does not care about their voice, are going to find another way to make themselves heard. And honestly, that's why, and I know this is um, probably one of my more controversial opinions, um, which is probably saying something. I, you know, if it came down to it, I think I would be in favor of a compulsory voting law like Australia has, right? That you are required by law to vote, um, not because we think you're super smart and we really need you personally filling out the form, but because if everybody is voting, then the government has a legitimate claim to legitimacy, if you'll forgive the phrasing there, right? If it is illegal not to vote, then the government has no mechanism, at least in theory, from preventing people from voting, right? Um, we live in a world in, in the modern U.S., well, really for the entire history of the U.S., where voter suppression is wielded as a legitimate electoral strategy, right? Um, and that's either active voter suppression, like literally making it illegal for people to vote, or more passive forms, like just making it harder, closing polling stations, or even like really passive-aggressive type forms, like just trying your best to turn the moderates off because, you know, if only the extremists turn out, you win. That's, I mean, again, a common strategy in the U.S. Um, now... Compulsory voting is obviously not a realistic political goal. You know, no one is going to uh, put an amendment in the Constitution saying all Americans over the age of 18 are hereby required to vote at every election under penalty of fine or whatever. That's not going to happen. Um, eliminating the Electoral College might 
be a little more possible. It might be a step in the right direction, um, but it's not going to solve all of our electoral problems. Like we said in the conversation, everyone in power is pretty much by definition heavily incentivized to keep the system as it is. And we have all sorts of problems with our system that make it very undemocratic, uh, both with a little t and a small d. Um, you know, aside from the Electoral College, we have issues with gerrymandering and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, if you look at the votes that are cast in every election cycle, the majority go to Democrats, um, but very rarely do Democrats manage to hold real power at the federal level or often even at the state level uh, because of gerrymandering. And again, it's not it's not whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I know there are people out there that want the Republican Party to win. Um, it could be the opposite way. And <laughs> we would still have the same problem, right? If the majority went to Republicans, but Democrats were in power 80 to 90% of the time, that would be the same problem, which is that we have an undemocratic government. People's voices are going unheard. And that is a recipe for chaos. Um, now, like I said, I don't think compulsory voting is going to happen in my lifetime. The Electoral College, maybe. But here's what I personally feel is a realistic step in the right direction. And you're free to agree or disagree. But I'm just going to put my two cents out there. You're listening to my podcast. Presumably you want my two cents. Um, ranked choice voting seems like a realistic option uh, for making our system more democratic, for getting more people towards the middle, the less extreme people to participate. Um, if you're unfamiliar, ranked choice voting is also known as instant runoff voting. And it's called that because it simulates like a round of runoff elections. Um, essentially, everybody goes to the polls and instead of putting a check mark by one name, they rank the options, right? So if there's 10 candidates running for a um, running for a, an office, you rank them one through 10, right? Or you can stop at five if you only like five of the candidates, it's up to you. Um, and then when they run the numbers, they find the candidate that has the fastest path to a clear majority, right? So they add up all the uh, first choice votes. And if no one wins a majority, then they drop out the candidate with the least votes. And they take all those votes and give those votes to those people's second choices. And they run it again, right? And if no candidate has a majority, they drop out the next candidate with the least votes. They give all those people's votes to their second choice or their third choice, as the case may be, right? And they run it until they have a candidate that has a clear majority from the public, right? Um, which, again, that adds to the electoral legitimacy of that candidate, right? Everybody can point to the winner of the election and say, yep, he was one of my top three to five choices, right? Uh, this is a candidate that pleases the largest possible number of voters. It's majoritarian in a real way, right? And suddenly the incentive to try to turn off large numbers of people from going to the polls is gone. The incentive to try to prevent large numbers of people from voting is, I don't know if it's gone, it's certainly lessened. Um, and I, 
there are a lot of countries that use it. There are some states and cities in the U.S. that have implemented it. I think it's a great idea. I think it is a great first step toward making our system of government more democratic, making it more responsive to what people want. So that's my two cents. Um, I've, I, you know, talking about this, uh, I've been kind of convicted that <laughs> I probably don't do enough to um, improve the country I live in. Um, I, you know, obviously this podcast is a, it's an attempt, <laughs> um, but I, I need to take a more active role. So as soon as I'm done recording this, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to go online and make a substantial donation to fairvote.org, which is an advocacy group that pushes for the enactment of ranked choice voting. And then I'm going to look into what I can do to help them at the local level. Um, I recommend you do the same. Or if you don't like the idea of ranked choice voting, whatever you're convicted, our political system needs, you know, not for the good, not for the good of your party, not for the good of the candidates you like, but for the good of American democracy. Um, I, I would challenge you to do that. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, that's it for this week. If you have any thoughts, uh, please email me um, at changedmymindpod at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this. Um, if you like what I'm doing here and you want to support the show, please um, go online, go to Apple Podcasts, give me a review or just give me a, uh, a rating if, if you're too lazy to write a review. Um, either way, you know, every little bit helps me in the algorithm. So thank you for doing that. If you want to support the show financially, well, great news. We have a Patreon, um, which is where you can become a monthly sponsor of the show and you will get all sorts of great benefits. If you sponsor us for $3 a month, you will get early access to episodes. If you sponsor us for $5 a month, you will get early access to episodes plus a bonus episode every month. I talked about the bonus episode this month already, but it's with uh, Justin E.H. Smith, who's a philosophy professor at the University of Paris. He was a really fascinating interview. Check it out. And if you support us at the $10 a month level, you get all that. Plus you get a producer credit on the show and you get to be a fly on the wall or if you prefer a participant at our monthly business meetings between uh, me and my producer, Blake. Um, so you can help uh, guide the direction that I take the show in. So that's really cool. Um, Change My Mind is produced by Blake Collier. It is edited by Jonathan Clausen, and it's presented by Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. This has been Change My Mind. Please don't be afraid to change your mind. Mm-hmm.